welcome to episode 30 of Storm the Norm, a podcast where we pick up norms that come in the way of businesses succeeding in a disruptive world. I am Narayan. And I'm Anisha Motwani. Storm the Norm is brought to you in association with Grand Fountain Bharat. On to today's episode now, exploitative. <laughs> I'll say that one more time, exploitative. Uh-huh. Anisha, that's the word that comes first to my mind when I think about the power balance between employers and employees, with the dice being fully loaded in favor of employers. That's a very provocative statement right off the bat, Narayan. Think about it, though. I mean, I've given it quite a bit of thought and I keep coming back to this. Regardless of how progressive or woke an organization is, employees always start from a position of disadvantage, Mm -hmm. negotiating their way to a better place, you know, either individually or collectively, formally or informally. Mm -hmm. And that's the norm we want to try and storm today. Yeah, to state it for the record, despite work from home, moonlighting, quiet quitting, and ESOPs, employees' destinies will always be decided by employers. You just named four recent phenomena, work from home, moonlighting, quiet quitting, and ESOPs. That seems very much in favor of employees. Why do you still say employers are exploitative? Well, except for the last one, ESOPs, Mm-hmm. None of the others are what I might call proactive initiatives that employers have conceived of, especially not with employees' interests in mind. I think about it, work from home was forced upon employers by the pandemic. Moonlighting, while it has been around for a while, signals that employees feel they are being inadequately paid by their employers and need to make more money on the side. Mm. As for quiet quitting... That's probably the most damning indictment of employers, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That neither is a company motivating its employees to give the best, nor is it aware or caring enough to clean its workplace of unmotivated workers. I can see you're coming down pretty hard on the employers, Narayan. And when I think of it, even these phenomena are restricted only to white-collar organizations, and especially only in the new economy. I mean, we're not even touching on the immense power imbalance in organizations where employees don't have the options of work from home or moonlighting or quite quick resorts. Mm-hmm. Think about manufacturing companies or logistics companies, the likes of Swiggy and Zomato and delivery and all the delivery companies, right? The, or the infrastructure uh, mm-hmm. sector or even government. Mm-hmm. So without organized unionizing, employees in these sectors don't stand a chance. They don't even have the options mm-hmm. of getting their voices heard. Mm. Get gaining an upper hand over their employers. And you know, true that, Narayan, because which is why even the debate in the gig economy becomes even more complex with the likes of Uber and Starbucks fighting to prevent their workers from unionizing, especially in the US. You know, you hear that all the time. And that, of course, doesn't paint employers in a very good light, does it? And yet, I don't think it has to be this way. We are not living in a feudal age, nor in the age of robber barons. A democratic capitalist system ought to be able to do better than this. Absolutely. But between ignorance, the willful or otherwise on the part of employers, um, between that, between professional managers caught between shareholders and owners on one hand and employees on the other, and additionally personal selfish motives on the part of both employees and employers and regulatory factors, it feels like the power balance can be corrected even by just getting the basics right. 
that's more like the person i know narayan i was beginning to wonder where the reckless optimist in you had gone you know you were painting such a bleak picture of the players <laughs> no, no, don't worry i'm i'm very much still here and optimistic about storming this norm dark <laughs> as it uh, may seem when i say uh, when i speak about it but on that note uh, i think this is an excellent time to introduce our guest experts for this episode mm-hmm. they are young they have been employees themselves for a long time and now their employers trying to part these dark clouds with sunny optimism pragmatic people first policies and more than a dash of humor and creativity mm-hmm. gautam raghunath and pg aditya are co-founders of talented the newest kid on the block in the advertising industry their work has taken the industry by storm but more quietly they are hoping to storm exactly the norm we have in front of us Gautam, PG, welcome to Storm the Norm. Welcome, Gautam. Welcome, Aditya. Good to have you with us. Hey, Gautam, PG. Thank you so much for making it to the Storm the Norm podcast. Uh, it's fantastic to have you here uh, in the middle of all of the small and big things you're uh, doing and all the fires that you're lighting both under yourselves and other people around you. Welcome once again to begin with. Thank you so much, Chief. Thanks, Narayan. Thank you so much. and uh, I've, i've been a avid listener of 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 this since um, you began uh, this podcast a while ago and uh, yeah yeah no no i'm very very happy to be here and very excited to like generally get an excuse to talk more to you <laughs> no also, thank you gautam and pg yeah this is you know this is good endorsement considering that we are coming back with an episode after a little while uh, so so good to know that you've been listeners of our podcast absolutely it's also the first time that we are both on one together yeah hopefully we can stoke some controversy because both of you are here together all right we'll jump right in i'll just restate the norm for the record and uh, we'd like your take on it to begin with and then we'll keep it free flowing although we do have some questions in case uh, although highly unlikely that we'll get stuck for for words at all so the norm uh, as as we put it together is is simply this despite work from home moonlighting quiet quitting and esops the fact of the matter is employees destinies will always be decided by employers mm-hmm. do you have anything to say to that oh a lot i mean <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is this is very heavy and and sort of i i'd say very personal as well themes around this almost a reason for PG and I even consider sort of leaving last year a job that we dearly loved and sort of starting up. And so I am absolutely looking forward to storm this norm. I can, I think, I'm qualified to sort of speak about at least our advertising industry, maybe not the other one. Right? For all our reputation as being this very, very creative industry, we're rather strangely conservative in how we deal with people and and how we deal with people, as in sort of. changed at all right in decades and years um so that's that that was worrying that's something that bothered us especially when you have sort of been pg and i had sort of divergent views of how to run an organization and how to sort of employ creative people that simply just couldn't wait that's really the reason for our new company talented to even exist very diverging sort of views on how how ca- capitalism works in a weird way we were lucky to have a vantage point in our previous jobs of how to sort of run a large company and 
run people and, and making a lot of mistakes in the process and learning from them and unlearning and all of that. And it, trying to sort of employ a lot of what we learned and what we wanted to do in our new company. The funny thing is a lot of what we want to do, they're actually very simple, boring stuff. Some of the most radical things that we say, you know, that we want to do are actually very, very boring stuff and, and are all sort of somewhere sort of... This is, uh, this is Gotham's Bernie Sanders pitch. Yeah, man. It's it, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, simple thing, just healthcare. It's yeah, yeah inequity, it's, inequity, inequity. Right? Yeah. It all sort of narrows down to inequity. Yeah. To your earlier point, Narayan, on the on are the destinies going to be decided? I think at some level, employees who want to spend you know several years in an org, Narayan, you, you, Gautam, and I are. I think we're all like you know we're on board the long tenure train. I think especially in Gotham and my case, in our generation, like there are very few people who spend like a decade in an org. And I think we kind of did that because we were perfectly fine with our employer deciding our destiny because we assumed that they would have good judgment about it. Right. And anyone who spends like gives us several years of their life to company expects that. And, and I think when that expectation is misused or not understood or not fulfilled properly is where I think the friction happens. But if it works out, then that's a great employer-employee relationship. We do want to dream on behalf of our best people. I think that's very much part of our job. If we do it wrong, that's when the problem comes up, I guess. So I want to unpack a couple of things both of you said, including that last thing that you just said, PG. I want to unpack the word owned. What does employee-owned mean? Is it just stocks? Is it just a financial ownership. I mean, you are still dreaming on behalf of other people of what their destinies ought to be. Is that actually ownership? No, not just. I mean, it starts from there. That's like the, the base level expectation now. Like PG said, can't imagine that that's not a real thing over the last few years in our industry. We've lagged behind plenty of others. No, I think ownership is also a state of mind. Uh, there's a one of our North Stars that we like to sort of work with internally. And we kind of, I feel like we've made decent progress there, is to sort of understand that what the youngest person in the organization or the newest person in the organization or the fresher walking into a company, what he or she says about the company and thinks about the company can't be that divergent, shouldn't be that divergent from what the leadership of that company thinks about itself, right? And oftentimes, I've, I mean, we I mean, we found for that to be so divergent between employees and employers of certain companies, most companies, right? That's where it starts. It's a feeling of, you know what? I have a place here. This is my company. Dream on behalf of the company. That's when you get the best out of those who work for us as well. I agree. So, Tim? No, so that's the thing. Like I, no, no, I have things which I properly disagree with him on. And trust me, there will be a... When, <laughs> we'll, yeah, 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 there'll be some nice and loud disagreements. But this point... I do agree. But just picking it up from, you know, what you all just said, is this like the same thing disguised in a different structure or a different kind of clothing? Because ESOPs giving share options in various shapes and forms has always been the norm in industries. People do try to retain their talent either through cash or kind in various ways. So technically, is it the same thing? Or is it that truly they are shareholders of the company where they do have equity, which is equitable? Some portion people always keep aside for employees and that portion is distributed in the form of stock options, uh, 1%, 5% or whatever that is. But in your case, how is that technically different just for our audience so that they understand how the business model is truly different for talented? 
Well, I can start with one NPG. You want to sort of add to it later. Sure. Um, you're right. I think uh, the thing is, it's always been sort of strangely rare in our industry. So for us, it's absolutely new, right? But you're right. It it is very prevalent across industries. Some of the things that we've been doing, for example, we have the executive committee that runs the company, runs Talented, right? It's five of us, and and we have employee representation on that, making voices heard, perspective heard from across the company. Oftentimes, you sort of, it's very easy for sort of the founding team or the founders or the, or the CEO to sort of be a little sort of distant from the actual reality of the company. It's, it's more common than you'd think. So simple things like that, which we're trying to incorporate, in no way am I saying that we're there, we're learning every day, we're constantly shifting what our North Stars are for certain things. But I think these are the simple ways in which one starts making a change in how companies are run. We have massive debates internally, and this is from the junior most in the team to the senior most on what we do for the future of some of our clients and the accounts that we run. Do we continue to sort of service them? Do we, should we move on from them? And these are collective decisions. So again, small starts, but I think very, very important for us to f- make everybody feel like they're part of building this together with us. I agree, uh, um, Anisha, on your point on like, I think in tech right now, like ESOPs is a given. Right? Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like an expectation, which also kind of means that it, do you value it as much mm-hmm. as it as as it was when it as an idea when you know Facebook was being built and Apple was being built? Like at that point, what equity meant to what equity means now in the tech world mm-hmm. are two different things. But having said that, our industry, if we are like way far behind it does mean that some of the companies that do this the, the, uh, the, the first few companies who do this will obviously have will be able to kind of almost go back to what that value is supposed to mean what the value mm-hmm. of equity in a company is supposed to mean so because the way that we're staffed and the kind of people we're hiring are have not been exposed to this kind of an option before mm-hmm. i think we're able to kind of um, we're almost able to kind of see it in a way that probably facebook and apple did when they kind of started off mm-hmm. and i think any industry as this option comes up for different different industries right it's always going to the first few who do it are always going to be the ones who are able to reap the true benefits of it and we're hoping to be one of them so coming to this whole post-COVID scenario of employees working in a certain way and like the norm stated, you know, whether it is work from home, whether it is, you know, moonlighting and there are several such models and phrases that have emerged in the post-COVID era. The equation between an employer and employee has tilted in favor of the employee and with your kind of business models and especially, I mean, new to your industry, you think that you run the risk of being at the mercy of employees and not getting the same level of productivity from them. Listen, it was already so tilted in the employer's favor. And this is almost a rebalancing as as to how I see it. I think the larger problem is that uh, you spoke about COVID and the changes and and stuff like that, right? These are not new sort of developments as much as these uh, existing behavioral patterns sort of coming up a little more because of how the, the style of working has changed. The problem is that we've never openly, loudly had conversations about how to go about these things, whether it's, I mean, I, I don't know many organizations, we're slowly starting to do it ourselves. I don't know if we have clear policies on on how to work from home. On And Swiggy sort of made a great start with moonlighting, for example, the other mm-hmm. month when they announced their policies on, of 
here to do a certain kind of work. We support you in your sort of wider interest. Excellent, right? The problem mm-hmm. is we haven't really formulated our opinions on what's okay, what's not okay. How do we go about this? How are we going to be a little bit more productive than what we mm-hmm. were in sort of new scenarios? And I say I think that's where it starts. So we're actually sort of trying out a little internal exercise. We're currently actively sort of building our ways of working handbook. And this little sort of document, which is going to be public, mm-hmm. possibly on our first year anniversary, we don't know yet, is sort of co-created by everybody over our first year. And so there's always a vision with which the founders start the company. But over the first year, we've realized that when employees come in and, and when our core team forms, mm-hmm. how it work is sort of shaped by everyday behavior. So we're learning from those. And we're hoping to sort of put down our clear beliefs and thoughts about how to make these things work in both in the favor of both sides. Right. So I think that's a that's a interesting enough start. What I heard you say is that the balance of power was so in the favor of an employer, which it was, uh, and that's where the norm came from. That today, what you are seeing is basically rebalancing and correction to let this whole equation be a little more balanced in the favor of both employee and employer. But in your assessment, if you take stock. Do you think that the employees today are mature enough to actually see this and not take advantage of the situation? Or maybe they can take advantage in the short term, but in the long run, this might not be so good for their career and for their growth prospects. I mean, listen, I mean, what does sort of work from home sort of loosely translates to I want to avoid one and a half, two hours of commute every single day, right? Uh, what moonlighting sort of literally translates to is, listen, I have a varied variety of interests and in my free time, can I sort of experiment with them? Personally, no, I think these are perfectly acceptable sort of feelings, right? And no, I think the the modern employee, a lot more aware. Uh, we've got very, very young people joining the workforce now, significantly younger than what it was when we first started. And uh, I think our experience has been that people are significantly more mature than what, you know, we often sort of give credit to them too. So no, personally, I uh, don't think so. Mm-hmm. No, so, no, it's, it's I, I mean, it's not the best environment for creativity. I don't, yeah, I think we, we just like we, it's, it's possible. You can 100% try it. And I think eight out of 10 times you're going to get, work that you're not disappointed with. But I think those of us who who have, I mean, we're talking about a generation who knows work, who's beginning their work, their careers as work from home, right? Without the precedence yeah. of what an office environment feels like. And then you have like a, a huge percentage of the office of the, let's say the workforce who have a precedence for what they're missing, basically. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's fair to a 21 year old who's graduating today and who's dreaming of, you know, uh, spending several years in advertising to like keep reminding them of quote unquote, the good old days. That's very unfair. I, if, and and so much so that, I, I, but of course, I think there is, I do miss not being able to like, you know, pull four people together into a room and, you know, make that happen a lot faster than it does at okay. times. But, but I mean, I don't know, I think that like Jurassic Park says, right? Like life finds a way. So I want to, I want to know how much you push in terms of even even getting to some of the fundamental questions and and I, i'll tell you what i mean by that you know a lot of the ills that plague the industry whichever industry actually but specifically even advertising come from a willful ignorance of 
issues, like you've pointed out sometimes, right? But sometimes it feels like it is not even willful. It's just baffling ignorance, right? So I'll just take the example of moonlighting. You know, some of the reactions to it from managers and leaders has been just like, are you even thinking, right? Because there is a glib answer that says something like, but it's in the contract. Why would they want to violate that? Nobody's even stopping to think, but is that contract fair in the first place, right? From asking some fundamental questions like that uh, about where the dice are loaded to maybe something that is a little more evolved, a little more woke to use the current word. I, I want to push this a little bit, right? So you, when you spoke about ownership beyond even the financial uh, structure of ownership, there is the question of accountability or being answerable to shareholders, right? So if you draw a parallel to real world shareholders, then for the most part, the company does what they believe will reward shareholders, will uh, provide the right answers to the market. Do you hold yourself as accountable to your employees? Yeah, I kind of think we have to in the long run. I mean, it's not even a, it doesn't come from the goodness of our heart alone or anything. This is how we need to survive. I don't see some crazy long-term future for this agency unless Unless we actually commit to, I, I mean, Narayan and Anisha, if I, if I were to, and Narayan, I think you'd know this, this part a little bit. I think all of us know willful ignorance, right? Like you said, like if we were to all ask ourselves, like what are the four or five things that we think need to improve in the agency business? 90% of us will have the same answers. And the same 90% of us will say it's a very yes, but kind of a thing, right? So I think the it's now just getting down to actually doing the things that we know are the right things to do. And yeah, I actually don't, I, I don't see another way for us to survive unless we do this. I agree. I mean, I don't know if it helps or doesn't help, but the bar is already so low, no? Like, yeah. uh, and like, so it's the simple things. So it's, to me, it's a great rebalancing more than anything. You know, um, as PJ and I were beginning and uh, when we were talking about what we wanted to do, when we were very clear that the world certainly didn't need another advertising agency, right? But what we believe it does need is a serious sort of reimagination of the agency experience in itself, both for clients and particularly for the talent in advertising, right? Um, I think working in advertising can and sort of must feel better than it currently does for a lot of us. So when we were ideating for Talented and starting up, we began because we believe that we have ideas that can fundamentally alter what the business means. Uh, first, for those of us who work in it, and then therefore for our clients, right? Ideas around tackling the inequity, how we value our work, how we pay, that's a big one. Uh, the demanding hours, the lack of skin in the game, and this kind of sort of looming irrelevance that is staring agencies in our faces, right? It's a long list. Yeah. Yeah. So even like, I think nine out of 10 creative people at this point, they have probably three or four expectations from a great job slash great agency. They want access to diverse creative opportunities um, for which they are credited generously and paid their fair market rate without burning out. Um, like these are very, very sensible expectations. I don't, I don't think anyone is asking for the world here. I think um, very well summarized PG and Gautam. Yeah, um, 
it's a it's a mutual company where everybody shares both the success and the failure the pains and the pride and the passion and the commitment thank you so much appreciate thank it thank you guys thank, thank you gautam thank you pg uh, it was amazing i wish we could continue this for longer but we'll keep revisiting this conversation <laughs> absolutely thank you so much guys thank you okay. so nadine what did you take away from everything gautam and pg had to say anisha i've known them both for a while so i'm a little biased here mm-hmm. that notwithstanding i liked how they were not looking to reinvent the wheel mm-hmm. yeah, they they're not bothered about the not invented here syndrome and they're happy to borrow something that works albeit in a different industry and adapt it to their business i'm talking about how they're taking the best of how tech companies operate integrate it with the people dependent nature of creative organizations and are going about changing the ad agency business one hr policy at a time what about you anisha how would you storm this norm what hacks do you have for our audience nadine the first thought that comes to my mind is that the world has changed so much mm-hmm. and so has the workplace whether mm-hmm. it's in response to social movements or because of a shift of priorities through the pandemic gen z for better clarity people born between 1997 and 2012 i mean that's the generation that wants jobs that also provide a good work life balance cliche as it may sound and a sense of purpose i remember when i worked in an organization purpose was such a elitist word i mean i was working because i needed to work and i needed a job and i needed to keep myself occupied but today that's not the only reason that might be the reason for many many people but for many others that's not the only reason and given a choice they are looking for organizations that give them the balance and the sense of purpose and eager to work with this digital savvy generation that will dominate the workforce in the next decade companies have realized the importance of staying dynamic and reimagining the recruitment and employee engagement strategies they're mm. continuously evolving to create a workplace model that can provide an experience that exceeds the employee's expectations and esops are one of the key pillars around which workplace models are being designed and we heard both aditya and gautam speak a lot about you know what they have done in a industry which has been a very mature industry but never thought or even uh, conceived of of conceptualizing something like this which is a little more democratic in nature so underlying employee ownership is radically democratic we all want to believe that we are working for our own selves even if it's in a large global company still the ultimate test of employee ownership is how well esops affect corporate performance isn't that i love that phrase radically democratic the esops have been around for a while in other sectors but the question i think we would like to hack and as part of the hacks that you have in front of us is how do you radically democratize esops so one being a recipient of esops in some of the corporates that i worked in one of the things that comes top of mind to me and that too with experiences that are the employees owning the stocks or are they actually owning part of a company okay there's a big mm-hmm. difference is it a mm-hmm. compensation mechanism and a retention tool only or is it that they genuinely are part of a company which is mutually owned by its employees 
So the mm-hmm. ethop companies that grow fastest are the ones when stock ownership is combined with curated program for employee participation. Employees may well appreciate the money they get by owning the company stock, but their enthusiasm won't do much for corporate performance unless it can be channeled into the creative enterprises. Employees ought to feel they can share new ideas, devise new ways to work together more efficiently, and take on the responsibility. Some critical responsibilities solve some complex problems. How involved do they feel in the company's decision making? How informed they are? How involved they are? How transparent is the working system of an organization? That is what gives them the sense of participation in a company. Such a clear message for management. give employees an opportunity to acquire a significant share of the company and develop opportunities for them to participate truly as owners exactly so just leaving it at giving them stock options is not enough the second one even though it's very core and very central but you cannot actually there's always more that you can highlight on this mm. and it just comes from james taylor's famous lyrics you can play the game and you can act out the part though you know it wasn't written for you so oh, true <laughs> i just love this you know I mean, yeah are you in an organization playing somebody else's part it wasn't mm. written for you you just happened to be there Mm-hmm. and there are many organizations where employees at work feel that they are working in order to achieve someone else's goals and not their own absolutely aligning with the values of gen z and millennials is also key there was a recent i was just reading a global 2022 gen z and millennial survey by deloitte that says that nearly 2 in 5 employees said that they had rejected a job or assignment because it did not align with their values and those who are satisfied with the employers societal and environmental impact and their efforts to create a diverse and inclusive culture said that they were more likely to want to stay with their employer for more than 5 years so clearly you are seeing that the balance of power is shifting towards a workplace culture that's inclusive that's diverse that just is moves beyond just making money and profits into looking at the larger aspects of giving back to society and environment giving employees a sense of purpose aligning that with that of the organization or vice versa and the right workplace culture with leadership walking the talk no matter how commonplace and banal this may sound it's one of the biggest aspects of employee satisfaction mm. amul in india is such a great brand that lives this every day it's a mutual organization started with this whole purpose of exploitative farmers were getting exploited coming mm-hmm. back to the to where you started mm-hmm. to stop farmer exploitation uh, amol is such a great uh, model to pick up in terms of how to hold up a torch on and shine it on what you're talking about because basically what we are saying is even if you're not a cooperative in reality as an organization creating a sense of cooperation like a cooperative is key and the other thing that stands out uh, is exactly what you said about Gen Z and millennials wanting their values to align with their employers' values. As one of my nephews put it succinctly to his dad, "Hey, you guys, your generation, we're happy to do good after you're done with your career. We don't have that opportunity. We have to save this planet while we are building our career. So we need those values to align right now." and some of the conversations you have with this generation i mean they're so insightful it's almost yeah. as if you know you have so much to learn from them you know? absolutely very succinctly put narayan 
What's the third hack? <laughs> Coming back to ESOFs, because you know that's the core of today our guest mm-hmm. conversation. There is the the whole approach to ESOFs is too little, too late, and that for many employees has been uh, not something that has worked and worked successfully. You know, there right. are many organizations that have a very grudging approach to ESOFs. Mm-hmm. They roll out very small components of their stock pool. and completely backload it their belief is that the golden handcuffs will retain the employees longer while that might be true in many cases a captive employee can sometimes be a burden more than an asset i mean a handcuff even if it's golden is still a handcuff it's still a handcuff exactly and in startups yeah. imagine employees have to wait out the cliff and the vesting period before getting a chance to see some cash and in the case of failed startups you know you can imagine the emotion when they realize they are part of a sinking ship and the pot of gold that they were imagining at the end <laughs> just is a mirage so as against the whole too little too late syndrome yeah. hmm. the drip approach hmm. little by little continuously hmm. allows early and more frequent encashment of stock options as the promise of long term wealth creation is failing to tempt like i said you know many many employees the shorter vesting interval sometimes as brief as a month uh, or even a quarter or even a, you know 6 months allows companies to provide greater cash in hand of employees at regular intervals yeah so a flexible esop liquidity plan gives the employees control over their financial planning no more time sheets for example or unlimited paid leave conceptually with a moral contract in place that no employee will take undue advantage of this policy but these sound like band-aid solutions to tackling the problem of true co-ownership and an equal power balance between employees and employers absolutely how can such policies go from being mere sops to living up to the true promise of an instrument like esops fostering co-ownership by looking at these from employees perspective that's what employers need to do put yourself mm. in their shoes and look at yeah. it with their lens take time sheets for example they are the pain enforced <laughs> the ultimate goal of the data being used to estimate a company's profitability where's the employee's perspective in any of this in addition calculating an employee's contribution merely by time spent is such an archaic model yeah and to borrow another concept from the new economy translate employee's contribution into valuation just the way a company's revenue performances that makes them feel more valued as well as invested in the company's present and future that seems like such a easy thing to do for for a generation of entrepreneurs and enterprises who are chasing the unicorn of valuation all the time at a company level mm-hmm. you would think that they would also translate that into the same yardstick for their employees instead of just time mm-hmm. spent and time sheets that's such a insightful uh, hack as always fascinating anisha and a lot of actionable insights in one place this is also a good place to bring in our gt bharat expert to provide a real world way in which the power balance between employers and employees can be more equitable our expert today is ritika mathur partner human capital consulting at gt bharat ritika how can companies deploy esops in the best way to foster not just stock ownership but company ownership in the true sense of the phrase um i think uh, esops uh, 
any equity linked in, in centers specifically esops today are the buzzword in the indian market uh, because uh, in addition to providing just a wealth creation opportunity for employees uh, they actually act as a medium to instill a sense of ownership as well in the employees and therefore they are an attractive option not just for the employees but the employers as well right um the one thing however is the key how how to make esops attractive is how do you balance the design in a way that that it caters to the interest of employees uh, but also of the shareholders as well as the organization one of the reasons why i in my experience esops have been very very popular for employers and employees also is because of the fact that it offers a lot of flexibility both in terms of the design aspect as well as when it comes to the taxability as well however of times when organizations are thinking about esops they really miss out on the opportunity in actually bringing in the innovation and the design because the focus ends up being on the administration side of things really right so in my experience when i've seen esops working the best is when employers actually take a step back and really try and spend a lot more time in designing an esop that is aligned to the objective with which we, they are starting the process right so uh, to give you an example let's say if we are looking at two organizations that are very similar stage of their life cycle but one would like to reward their employees on the past value that they have generated however the other organization might want to reward employees on the future value that they are looking to create because they might be sitting on let's say a new product ip or they might be sitting on an ipo that is coming in forward right basis these two different objectives the rationale and the design would differ both in terms of the kind of criteria that you would like to use when it comes to designing the award size etc also for example in terms of the discounts that you would like to give to your employees and therefore it's very important for us to look at what is it that we are really looking to achieve out of these esops and work with an advisor who can guide you that this is the kind of esop design that sort of fits best the other important aspect to look into is also in terms of the market benchmarks what is it that the industry is really doing at this stage so that you are aware what is it that your employees are expecting as a way of uh, industry standards i think with these two things if you keep in mind and we look at it that's that's the best way for us to be able to design something which is going to be attractive to your employees and also is going to be a great retention tool to have your key talent stay with the organization so we have as usual a thought provoking norm to phenomenal and enthusiastic experts and some great hacks to storm the norm i think that's a great place to wrap up episode 30 of storm the norm as always there are multiple places you can catch us on spotify apple podcast soundcloud geo savan hubhopper by just searching for storm the norm and on sadegama karavan 2.0 devices on channel 453 this is narayan and anisha Signing off for now. We'll be back with a new episode soon. Thank you and talk to you. Thank you. Thank you.